Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're not already with the woman of your dreams and you're ready to finally find her so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever stopped to consider how much you matter? It's an indisputable fact, ecologically speaking, that we each have a major impact on all the beings all around us. So that's why each of us matters in a very deep and real sense. But what if knowing how much we matter were a source of confidence? Doesn't knowing how much we matter give us reason to be extra curious about who we are and how we interact with the world around us? Given the fact that everything is so connected, it truly is our duty to be extremely curious. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interview Dr. Saida Desilet, who teaches how we can use curiosity to increase our aliveness so that we can have better relationships, better sex, and a better world. I want to give special thanks to Liana Silver for introducing me to Dr. Saida, who you are going to love learning from here. Dr. Saida is so wise, and you can find links and learn more about her work in the show notes. But before you do, please stay and enjoy this really great conversation with Dr. Saida Desilet. Dr. Saida, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. It's so amazing to meet you and really great to be here. Thank you. The first time I ever heard your name was actually on my podcast. Oh. I was interviewing my friend Jenna Laflamme, and she was talking about erotic innocence. Right. And I loved the idea. I loved the concept. I'd never heard of it before. And I said, where did you hear that? And she credited you. And so I went to look you up since then. Fantastic. Yeah. So maybe that's <laughs> a great place to start. What is erotic innocence? Yeah, well, it's, um, first of all, something we all have. So as I describe it, know that it's something we're all born with. And my definition of it has changed a lot since I wrote my book in 2003, which is the subtitle is Awakening Our Erotic Innocence. Erotic meaning that which animates things, that which is alive. Because sometimes when we use erotic, it can also scare people. Innocence meaning... Uh, looking at something with no judgment, no right, wrong, good, bad, um, no hierarchy, just experiencing it purely like a child would experience something. And then you bring that into adult life, and it's this beautiful, non-judgmental, curious attitude about our bodies, about our pleasure, about the things that turn us on. Uh, so I think it's a very important state and all of us start that way as children, as babies. We're very innocent. We kind of touch every part of our body and it just, it's all cool. You know, it's like, woo, we're so sensual when we're babies. And we do grow out of it. So part of the journey is to come back and um, reconnect with that. Unlike babies, however, we get to reconnect with from a place of wisdom because we have adult minds and consciousness. So it's, it's a beautiful invitation, I find. It's worked really well for clients. Uh, especially clients who don't have a lot of pleasure um, or have a lot of shame or they're a lot older and they've shut down and they ask me a lot of questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? And I always just encourage them, drop into erotic innocence and follow that. And it's been miraculous what has emerged for them. Um, we tell people too often what to do sexually. when And so when we do that, we strip them of sexual dignity 
they're erotically intelligent and they just need a little encouragement to play in that realm and explore and uh, relax. Yeah. I love it because it's almost like the Buddha mind, that idea of, of looking at the world with curiosity without naming things or, or seeing it through the judgments that we've been taught and just allowing what is so. Mm-hmm. And being curious. I mean, honestly, we have lost that. And I think that curiosity is not only the bridge for better sex, it's the bridge for better relationships and the bridge for a better world because we are all so very different. And if we're wanting to be more inclusive, if we're wanting to understand all these differences, then we have to get curious. We've got to lean in. And so the best place to start is with ourselves. It's like, oh, wow. (laughs) And every day we might have a different thing that kind of lights us up. So what is it today? And being okay with that. I, I do think it's so important, especially in terms of the world, instead of being afraid of people's difference differences, but really leaning in and wanting to know and being excited about it and thinking it's wonderful and wanting to hear more and maybe letting what we learn from them open up new places inside of us and learning more about ourselves through what we see from them. It could be so exciting. And in relationships, especially, I talk about curiosity as being one of the number one rules of dating Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to just project what we hope someone's going to be onto someone when we meet her. But if instead we approach with curiosity, we could avoid so many bad relationships. We could see more red flags or we could just be, exactly. or we could just be better partners. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, um, so I learned this actually from animal communication, <laughs> interspecies communication. I, I take women out in the wilderness a lot in Africa. That's one of my greatest passions. And one of the things that you learn is to not assume that what you're seeing is what you're seeing. So you get to learn to ask questions. And what that means is say, right now you're doing a gesture. I can see you. And I would say, hey, Jordana, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm cooking dinner. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) That so doesn't look like cooking dinner. But that's cool. You know what I mean? And I learn. I grow. I get curious. I don't assume. And because animals, often we project our human feelings like, Some of them look like they're smiling, but they're actually in a lot of pain. It's just that their uh, anatomical structure resembles a smile. Like certain dolphins, when they're suffering, still have an anatomical smile, but they're not necessarily um, always in joy. So we have to learn to not assume by reading what a person looks like and assuming what's going on for them. And I think we, we feel more seen I feel more intimate and juicy when I can lean in and go, hey, you know, what? you're kind of frowning right now. What's going on for you? And like, oh, I'm just concentrating or I'm having really bad bowel gas. <laughs> <I'm> like, uh. <laughs> like whatever it might be, um, then I get to know you better. And we're actually here in the moment together. And that's, that's so precious. That's so precious. Yeah, it's so important to get out of our head and to get out of whatever we're projecting or whatever, because what's in our head is just whatever we've experienced in our lifetime. But every other human has had an entirely different set of experiences that they're bringing to that moment. And we don't learn anything by sticking to what we're projecting. Exactly. But I don't want to lose what you talked about. I don't want to lose this this train of thought about interspecies communication, because I heard you once on a podcast talking about safari in Africa, and you said something like that... We're transparent. You said we're transparent in na- nature. What do you mean by saying that we're transparent in nature? I love, I love it, and I want to hear everything that you have to say about it. Humans have this weird orientation where they think that they have an inner world that's private, and um, and that everything else is kind of out there and not really feeling anything. Trees feel us. Uh, the earth, everything feels us, but especially um, animals. And so what's amazing when you're in nature, not with domesticated animals so much, although they do respond, but I see it way more with wild animals, the instant you have a thought, they respond. The, if you are managing fear, for example, they'll reflect it back to you Im- immediately, even though outwardly you're kind of playing the tough chick, you know, I'm cool. <laughs> but inside you're like, shit. Uh, the animals will reflect that fear. Or if you have the unresolved anger, the nature around you will, will show you immediately. That 
taught me that, oh, wow, we have no inner world. We are very transparent. And we quickly learn on those safaris how to come into a very profound state of being, which, you know, we hear about blah, 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 whatever. It's not something that you can just, you know, take a magic pill for, but we all have that skill set because it's what helps us survive for way longer than we've been modern humans. And so when we drop into that state of being, then we're just really honest. We're like, wow, right now I'm agitated. Everyone around us goes, okay, cool, because I was feeling that, but didn't know where it was coming from. And then it actually can dissolve. So there's some beauty and magic in understanding that you have impact. This is one of the core messages I have. You matter. You have impact. In every single choice you make or don't make has impact. And when you start to understand that, now you're starting to craft your reality a little more consciously with a little more beauty and a little more self-awareness and a little more respect, not only for yourself, but for all the beings around you. And I've seen that transformation for every single person I've ever taken into the wilderness. It's just organically happens. It doesn't, it's not a forced thing. It just emerges. That's why I think it's an innate talent that we have just underused. (laughs) I love what you're saying. And I think this idea that we have no inner world, even if we think we do, we underestimate how much other people can feel us and the vibe that we're bringing. If we're focusing on negative thoughts, we're bringing negativity into a space. When we're being, when we're focusing on judgmental thoughts, we're bringing judgment into a space. Whatever we're doing in our inner reality does matter and does impact all the people around us. And whether it's that we're trying to attract someone that we're attracted to, we can't really fake it as much as we think that we can. <clears throat> and so it, it really is so important to to, like you said, drop into your state of being, check in with our inner state and take responsibility for that inner state. Yeah. And, and, and love it because it's your most intimate relationship you'll ever have is with yourself. And so it's like, wow, here I am right now in every second of my existence, interacting with the beloved. So, so this intimacy of knowing ourselves, and that's not just uh, definitely it's emotionally, it's our beliefs, it's our ideas, but also sexually, like just really knowing ourselves. So a lot of the work that I do with women is to have them become uber masterful of their bodies, not just for this moment and not just for someone else, but for the, their entire lifetime. Um, my most kind of exciting work that I've done is actually with what we consider elderly people who we would think are completely non-sexual and past sexual prime are activating in insane ways and completely reversing the aging process in their pelvis and vaginas and like just the stuff they're able to do by exercising erotic innocence and just applying a couple basic, you know, fundamental practices that I teach, but really applying them through the inquiry of who am I as a sexual being, not a sexual doing, a sexual being. And, and then they have these incredible results. And the reason they're having them is because we, our body innately wants to feel good and our body innately functions better. All systems of the body function better when we're in states of pleasure. So it's very, very natural once your body gets that you are interested in her and you respect her and you adore her and you're curious about her and you enjoy her. Um, you become embodied and that kind of embodiment is so magnetic. It's, it's that vibrant aliveness that I like to refer to a lot. I love that. Are these elderly women, women that could it even work for women who never would have considered themselves humans who had a good sex life before? Absolutely. A lot of them have never had great sex. They come from like Germany in the old days and, you know, uh, had a lot of uh, difficulty in relationship. Um, maybe they're, they didn't have any sex ed, so they didn't know their bodies. They didn't know what was possible. Um, and in very short period of time, that erotic innocence, if you really let it lead and you're listening, it's amazing what blossoms from that. I just love hearing that because so many people come to me 
feeling stuck or traumatized from something that happened or just traumatized mm. from feeling like they can't they can't access their pleasure and i i love hearing from women like you that are here to really assure everyone that no matter who you are no matter what you've been through it is possible no matter how old you are no matter where you are in the world it yeah. is possible to that your body innately wants to feel good it functions better in states of pleasure and and those are not those are things that are not unavailable to you exactly and when we talk about pleasure it's not just sexual because what's really important about the work that i do and the invitation i give to women is to consider your micro moments just the micro moments the little things the ordinary and can you really enjoy just a breath can you really enjoy a, someone's beauty or the beauty of a flower or a fragrance a sunset we make sense of reality through our sensuality sensuality is how we make sense of reality through the senses and when we as women can enhance those rather than numb them out we keep ourselves safer actually because now we're tracking the environment in a 360 degree field versus a very myopic frontal field that happens when we shut down our sensuality and unfortunately we're in a culture that encourages women to shut down their sensuality well either sell it out <laughs> or shut it down which has always been there this dynamic of madonna whore and uh, on a very unconscious level we are still facing um, these imposed polarities that aren't really honestly true but they're conditioning let's say what you just said is genius that sensuality leads to safety, which is so true because the more we are in touch with our five senses or even our six senses, right? Not only mm -hmm. our ability to, or our organs that can sense the outside world, but also our intuition, the more we are paying attention to what is so in the moment, the more we can notice any threat that's around us, the more that we can pick up on someone that's maybe doesn't have the right intentions. And that is what leads to safety. Whereas we're this the Madonna horror complex you're talking about, this idea that sensuality is wrong or that pleasure isn't isn't for us or isn't good in some way. It's I've never heard that before, that sensuality leads to safety because factually, objectively, that's just true. Yeah, and I know it to be true also because I been in the wilderness, <laughs> like walking where the wild lions and leopards and hyenas, like they, they're there. It's, it's like any second you could die and we do not. And we come very close to them. They come close to us. Why? Why is it, why is it that we have this harmonious, beautiful, intimate ability to be there? And it's because in the field, like I said, they can sense that we're really there with no ill intent. We're clear. We're not agitated. And we can also sense ill intent right? You can pick up uh, this summer. It wasn't really ill intent, but I was unloading my backpack and I could feel like through my whole body, I was in this like wash something's here <laughs> other than my human friends. <laughs> and I look up and I look around and I didn't see a thing like, okay, my, is my intuition totally off? I put my head down and Boom, there he was. A massive male baboon was on my mat, like two feet away from me. And he had the intent to go through my stuff. He didn't want me around. So he wasn't super aggressive, but he did push me. And it was crazy because I have never had contact with a wild animal before. But my body felt him before I could see him. Does that make sense? There it was... does. Do you think it's because you're so trained to be in touch with your senses or do you think everyone could have also, I mean, I'm sure everyone, if they have the training you have, but you're also at this point, how many years into this journey of yours? A long time. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. But uh, what I noticed in, in Africa is it, because we all have this, you, you literally, your descendants are those who dared, those who didn't dare died. So within your being living is the pulsating daringness of all your ancestors and that information you access instantly when you are back in natural settings and when 
just with a few cues. Like I just give people cues. I don't even teach that much. Just little cues, little ways of um, kind of reorienting to what's going on and paying attention. It's incredible how quickly women instantly start to track very, very differently. And, um, and then those skill sets go with them beyond that, those two weeks in Africa. What are some cues? Um, so one of the cues would be just, uh, first of all, follow your body sensation. Uh, there, there might be like suddenly some heat on, on the back of your body or one of your hands might go cold. Um, I used to have an ovary that would tingle. <laughs> if something, if I had to go right, that right ovary would kind of get this weird feeling and I would go right and I would find metal. It's not supposed to be there, but, but there was metal and I would collect it. And my ovaries would always lead me to these like pieces of metal. I even found keys that had been lost forever, <laughs> like really weird things. And I didn't know that my body did that, but by getting a little more still, you know, we get off our phones, there's no internet. We um, do more body oriented practice and breathing. So we're here. There's nothing else to do and pay attention. Um, so we kind of strip you of all your uh, ways that you distract yourself. Well, now you have to pay attention to these little signals. It could be also you get a flash in your head, an image, and um, could be a scent. I remember the first time I ever met a giraffe, I could smell it literally like two minutes before we met it. And I started sniffing the air in a really like intense way. And our animal communicator, uh, who was with us at the time, she noticed I was doing that, so it activated her sense of smell, and then she could smell it. She knew what she was smelling. I didn't because it was my first time. Um, but it was just things like that, quite remarkable. That is quite remarkable. And I love the idea of using safari as that kind of a meditation because other people, they'll go to a monastery, they'll strip away everything, they'll put themselves in just, I don't know, I, I guess what can only be described as sheer and utter boredom. And that's so, certainly one approach, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the idea of, instead of that, just putting someone into, the, into wild nature, where you have absolutely no choice but to be completely aware with all your senses is brilliant. I've never heard of anyone else doing that. What gave you that idea? It's just a genius <laughs> idea. I think I was led there. Um, I went on a normal safari, uh, which is like in jeeps and lodges and um, I was a little distraught because although we could get really close to the animals, uh, we were being taught to, to fear them. Like, so there was this dissonance between human beings and nature and this like nature is scary and evil and we're here to take pictures of it. It was kind of like the thing. And then I caught a documentary of Anna Breitenbach and I was like, who is this woman? I got to go meet her. And a year later, I was um, in safari with her, and we were like instant, instant best friends. It was just like soulmates meeting. She's just an incredible woman. And Who so is she? she's one of the world's best animal communicators. Yeah. You'll, you'll look her up, and there's an amazing documentary on her on YouTube. You got to watch it, it'll blow your mind. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so then you started bringing other women to her to see what together you could help how you could help transform women. Exactly. Initially, it was like that. She's retired uh, due to health reasons. She does only a couple things, so she doesn't do groups with me anymore. But in the beginning, yes. But she said I'd learned enough that I could do it on my own. So I work with two Zulu men. I like having the male presence there as our provider protector energy. And they're like brothers, deep, beautiful, heartfelt brothers. And they cry with us. And they're just there. And it's amazing. And they protect us. And then the rest of the time I'm doing what I'm doing and they really respect it. Like they're learning and growing and healing as well because often they don't get treated in the way we treat them. Um, and they really love nature and the animals and for us to come in with such deep respect, they're in awe of that uh, for Western people. So that experience of harmony, it's also very healing for the women to heal any kind of brother wounds because these are men who are really, you know, in a way masculine, they're carrying guns, they're protecting us, they're cooking for us, they're providing. Um, in another way, they're wide open, they're culturally orienting us, they're telling us ancestral stories, they're doing little ceremonies that the Zulu used to do. Um, 
but then they're really listening and the women are able to like speak to all their pain around men and the masculine and they really take it on and they receive it and they um, model really potent masculinity with a wide and deep soft heart so it, it shifts something for the women in really profound ways as well so well, that's pretty amazing that's also, I mean, everything you're saying is amazing, but I love what you're talking about with the modeling of the protector brothers, because I've always had one for myself. That's, I've had this just, for some reason, I was just born in this lifetime with all these very beautiful protector males and have, that's just the relationship that I've always had with the masculine for whatever reason. And I know that not everyone has that. And mm-hmm. I've never known quite how to deliver the gift that I have. And um, for some, and I'm also, that's just some sort of, sort of that's sort of the type of male that I attracted to my life. So I have all of these wonderful men that are in that energy, but I, I've never known how to transmit it. So it sounds, that's such an interesting way of transmitting it. Literally yeah. in the middle of nature with nobody else to protect you, but these open-hearted gentle men with, yeah. huge, with huge guns. Yes. And I mean, one of the nights I remember waking up, we do night watch. So everyone has to take a shift while people sleep. So wow. you're all alone you know, the one that's taking care of the camp for a couple hours under the stars. You're so hardcore. <laughs> and it becomes the most favorite experience. At first it terrifies everyone, but it, because you're alone and you get to contemplate and the night is very potent because you're hearing, that's when all the predators are active. So you hear the lions and you hear the hyenas and you can hear all this stuff. It's, and somehow it becomes like this beautiful symphony but one of the nights I wake up and um, the woman hands me the torch and I'm barely awake. She goes, oh, and by the way, there's like 15 lions just across the river there. Um, have a good watch. See you later. She goes to bed. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, oh, crap. And I'm looking with the light and I can see all their eyes just lined up. And typically you're supposed to wake the guides if they're lions, but they're across the river. So I quickly looked around. There's nothing near the camp. But the river's dry, by the way, so they could easily walk over. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's winter. So. Or run over. Yeah. So, but no, they're not like, lions are not like that. They're not like that. But what had happened earlier that day is we startled them. And so lions, they emanate, like, sovereignty. There's another reason why I want women to meet them. They, like, they do not doubt that they are lion and that you will bow. Like, they have Damn. no doubt. So... We disturbed them by accident, but it happened. And I knew the second that happened, like, oh, shit, they're going to come and find us tonight. And they did. But it, luckily for me, it was on mostly my watch, which is interesting. Um, so I did what I'd been taught in animal communication, was just to send a very clear, direct message that's sent through how you feel. And what did you make yourself feel in order to communicate with them? I just um, understood why they were there. So I sent an apology on behalf of the group for having disturbed them and that we deeply, deeply did respect them. And we were honored that they were there and were even here at that moment. And that's all I said. I didn't go into a lengthy thing, just this feeling of apology and respect. And they all left. That is so cool. It was amazing. I, I used to, and this is so interesting what you're saying, and I would really love, um, I, I have a question that'll follow this, but I just want to do like back up a little bit. There was a time in my life when it was, when I found it really hard to, when I found dating hard, when I found attracting women very difficult. And mm-hmm. I think part of it was my own self-doubt, my own insecurities, my own neediness in a lot of ways. And I, like what you were talking about, we're all naked in nature. Is that the words that you use? Um, and I knew that somehow, cause it had nothing to do with what I was saying, but I knew it had to do with my inner being. And so what I used to do was practice. I used to go to the park and try and see if I can get a bird to land on my head. Like if I could make my energy so <laughs> inviting and so centered and so gentle that I would literally practice. And I would just, just try and feel my energy and just ground it into a way where it would just be so inviting that a bird would land on my head. Um, so if you have any advice about, because if we are naked in nature and if someone is coming to the table with negativity or self-doubt or any of those things, what are some steps that, mm-hmm. that we can take to, yes, other than trying to get a bird to land on your head, which, you know. Okay. So a couple things, um, 
our all our little troubles, I call them little troubles, <laughs> they're often, um, they disappear when we do get quiet. And But it's the getting quiet that's uncomfortable for us because most people are afraid of what they're going to uncover if they take time to be quiet because you're going to have to feel what you're feeling. The other piece to understand is your own essence is so beautiful and doesn't need fixing. It doesn't need to be told what to do. Who you are as a being is so exquisite. If you go and sit there and marinate in your own essence more often, you'll notice that who you are as a personality becomes less important and then you become more free. You're less identified with either being perfect or being, I don't know, smart or being sexy, whatever the thing is that we're identified with. And more just really letting yourself um, be who you actually are in your essence. And that's incredibly magnetic. And what that does for other people, what I have found when people are in my presence is they feel seen and they feel welcomed and they feel like they belong. Even people who have severe belonging issues but that's because I'm in a practice of I myself orienting to the fact that I belong to life. We all do. Um, I think one of the greatest harms that has happened over time with domestication of our wild spirits is that we have bought into the fact that we need to belong to a person or a group or some kind of something when the living truth is we belong to life. And so we can actually be at home everywhere, literally everywhere with anyone at any time because we're here and we get it. We get how miraculous that is. So I know that sounds like a lot, but I wanted to orient the, I don't really like to call it advice, but the invitation. Um, so number one invitation is, are you curious to know your own essence? And if you are, how does it feel to contemplate to yourself marinating in it, literally sitting in the beauty of your being? And you may think, well, that's ridiculous. I have no beauty because I was there once. <laughs> I thought if I open my eyes and really look at what's inside me, it's going to be so horribly monstrous, I will die. I will actually die. And I remember finally facing that demon deeply like on the floor covered in snot you know I've been sobbing for a while and I was like I don't want to look good I want to look just throwing like an adult tantrum like no I can't it's so bad I'm so gross I'm just the, the worst human being on this planet and then I finally heard this little voice said, just open your eyes and when I did and I mean looking inside open eyes I started to cry because I only saw love there was no horrible thing. So, but that was a journey back in my 20s, you know, when I had to face a lot because my life was crumbling all around me and it was very distressing. So first, that contemplation, are you willing to know your own essence? Are you willing to spend some time there and value that? Number two, spend time in nature because nature will teach you about yourself get off the phone, get off the devices, go and connect. If you're lonely, my, I was very lonely for a long time and sometimes still get lonely. And I just go, I know it sounds woo woo, but I go and hug a damn tree. I get like lean up on the tree. It's big and strong. <laughs> and I rest and I say, just teach me, teach me how to be rooted like you are. Teach me how to be, just be who I am and unquestionably be that be person. So nature is such a good teacher. And then observe nature. Notice the bird isn't trying to be a cat and the cat doesn't want to be a dog. And, you know, the flower isn't trying to be a shrub. Everything is just being its own nature. And the more you observe that, the more you'll connect with your own nature, your own being. So it might sound a little like, gosh, that's not that direct, but it is if you go. You've got to go, get out of the house, go. And maybe some areas right now it's cold, so it's not as inviting. But I'm sure that there's like 
garden, like areas that are gardened, you know, inside, beautiful indoor gardens for the winter months, for the cold areas that you could go and just sit and hear the sound of birds and water and smell. Or put on a jacket Mm -hmm. and go outside because I think what you're pointing to is really important that something, something went wrong when, for whatever reason, our species shut itself out of its of its natural connection to the natural world. There's something that we're doing that no other species seems to do. Yeah. That we've lost our identification with the part of us that is a creature. Yep. And totally lost our ability to survive in the wild. And we do this other thing where we have ideas and opinions and jobs and then we make money and somehow our food, we get it not from the trees or not, you know, we're, we're just totally separate from the earth itself. And yes. And what you're pointing to is that somehow if we're, if we don't understand that we're beautiful, if we're, if we're having self-hatred, that's the sort of thing that probably squirrels don't have, for example. Yeah. And we, we've been denatured. So when you go to nature, it's you being defiant this is an act of rebellion. <laughs> like when, when you go to nature, you are rebelling. You're rebelling against the narratives and the mandates and all the conditioning. And you're saying, hell to that. I know I'm real. I know I matter. I don't know who I am, but I'm willing to like learn. And it's not always easy, but nature has always been the place where I've been able to find solace and sanity and um, it doesn't have to be a long time. Like just even half an hour can be incredible medicine. There's a branch of psychology now called eco-psychology where they're recognizing they're taking people out who um, are severely depressed or have other kind of um, different mental illness or different, you know, um, conflicts that they're moving through. Just the smell of the earth stimulates oxytocin. So that's one really big thing. Then um, being in the natural world, it has an, a, a beautiful sense of chaos, the kind of chaos that actually soothes the nervous system. And we actually need it. We are not separate from nature. And because we're not spending enough time there, it's like not giving ourselves proper nutrition. And we do things that destroy the natural environment for no reason. Like one of the things that pissed me off, this is a little bit unrelated, but not entirely is you'll see someone spill water on the floor and then other people will take a whole bunch of paper towels to wipe it up. Now the water was never dirty. Water just isn't dirty, but we don't use mops or rags anymore. Now we use these single use disposable items, whether they're paper or plastic or metal or wood or whatever. But the amount of energy and resources that like you the amount of trees that were chopped down to create that paper, the amount of chemicals used to process that into pulp, and then and and the amount of energy used to do it, and then it's wrapped in plastic and then t- so, then driven with energy to some supermarket where it's picked up and put in a plastic bag to take home, and now it's going to go forever into a landfill, and now it's now there's something dirty because single-use disposable items create waste and pollution and filth and destruction on the planet, and we're so disconnected from our natural world that we don't even realize that to the point where someone can spill water which is totally clean and it's totally socially acceptable and considered normal to react to this like non-toxic water spilling event by creating a toxic condition when we use a a stack of single-use disposable napkins to wipe it up so we have this weird relationship with the with the natural environment this this separation that's when you, you say we're not separate, but it's so important to to reconnect with that fact. Mm-hmm. And I love how you're talking. That was a little bit off tangent, but... No, it's great. And it does apply to our pleasure and sexuality and our connection with each other. So it's not... The, the thing I'm trying to make a point of since the beginning is that everything is connected. So whatever's going on, it's it's not separate. You're not separate. So finding ways to make your life a little more simple, you're in charge of that. And 
in that simplicity, finding ways that delight you. Honestly, um, I did an experiment once, I think for about five or six weeks. I'd wake up every morning and just ask, what would my pleasure love? It was an experiment. And I would listen and I would get a message and I would do that thing to the point where it got where, like, I remember being in Amsterdam and I was booked to do an amazing interview with a woman who was working within the sex trade and helping liberate the the women who were caught up in that. And I, I really wanted to do this interview. It was like an important interview. And, but the day the interview came, it was pissing rain, which meant a, a wet bike ride to the train station, train ride to the next city, and then another wet kind of hike to her home. And it was cold and it was gray. And I was like, oh, what my pleasure would actually like is to stay home and have hot chocolate and then make love. Like that would be awesome. <laughs> my pleasure does not want to go out there and do this fucking interview. <laughs> so I get on to email this woman that I'm not coming. And there's an email from her saying, please don't come. I'm really sick. Had I insisted in following the plan, I would have already been on a train to her and not gotten that message. And so it would all have been for nothing. So I started to learn that there was actually also a little bit of wisdom in that tracking. At first it's weird because you're like, well, feels like really indulgent and maybe this or that. But you go deeper than the surface pleasures. You kind of go into like, what would light me up? What would make me feel the most alive? Actually going to bed early today or actually getting up early stretching or I don't know, whatever, calling a friend I haven't talked to in six months, whatever it might be, and starting to follow those impulses, we need space to do that. And our schedule, yeah, our schedules are too busy. You know, we just. <laughs> Which leads me to a question I was planning on asking you, because I've heard you talk about this before. Can you talk about, so then what is the difference between pursuing pleasure versus pursuing comfort? How do we know which one's mm. which? How do we know when we're not just taking the easy road out? You know, how did you know that wasn't just laziness, for example? I'm not saying that you I, were being, you know. I didn't. I didn't. Um, I wasn't even thinking that way. I was following, like, what would be true for me. And it turned out to be in my favor. And it kept doing that. So I think you have to experiment. You, you're going to make mistakes. But that's how we learn, right? It's how we learn and grow. So when you're first learning, say, animal communication, and you, you, you're going to be nervous. You, you're going to think you don't get it right. Or like for you, when you're first trying to like get out in the world and you know find some sexy mama to play with. <laughs> There's a little bit of um, intimidation or a little insecurity or you're not sure. But once you kind of get into your body and you, you go for what you would love, you just go for it. You're like, hey, I would love to talk to her. And you go for that. Or, you know, hey, I would love to do this or whatever it might be. Um, it may not work out always in the way that you think it will, but you'll learn and you'll grow and you'll become more confident because you're following the thing that you would love instead of following a mandate of how things should be or what it should look like. So in terms of comfort, I think sometimes we need it. Sometimes it's okay to like, you know what, I'm just going to eat this ice cream sandwich right now because <laughs> it's what I want. And being okay with that, as long as we're doing it from a place where we're like celebrating that that's the choice we're making in the moment versus like making the choice and then self-shaming, which is not what we're talking about here. There are steps to feeling integrated. It, we're not going to be perfect at it in the beginning because we've been denatured and domesticated for so long that we don't even... No. When I ask women directly, I get what you don't want. I get what you don't like. I even get what you hate. But what would you love? And it's like crickets. And it's crickets, maybe not that they don't know, but they're terrified of naming it because they believe they couldn't have it. So the act of knowing what we would love is such a vulnerable act that most of us would rather talk about what we don't like or hate and focus on that or go for something we don't like so we then can just bitch about it versus actually being vulnerable enough and admitting, gosh, actually, what I'd really love is 
this thing that feels scary to say out loud. And that's a little bit, yeah, go ahead. Because of fear of failure, because of fear of disappointment, because of fear that it. Yeah. Uh, There's no guarantees. Just because you desire something doesn't mean that you will get it in the way that you think you're going to get it. But um, as you know, I'm an advocate for desire. I'm about to do a TEDx talk on desire. That's hot. And there's, um, there's the true desire, the natural impulse that is guiding us, that is moving us. It's like having an inner compass. We actually have to pay attention to the things that we are lit up by because it's unique to every individual. We're not all lit up by the same stuff. So there's something about your own essence that understands itself enough to, to kind of trigger the whole system to light up when something comes into your consciousness that's actually something you're meant to investigate and move toward, right? We all have this. It's, it's a very interesting inner compass. The problem is oftentimes those desires get hijacked. So how we get to know what a hijacked desire is versus a true one, because they lead us very down very different paths. One's kind of this jaded, like switched off imitation of our life, let's say, and the other feels more symphonic and switched on. So to know the difference is to, we need to slow down and we need to start contemplating what really matters. I mean, really matters to the point that if you didn't have the experience of it and you died, it would be a freaking tragedy to contemplate that because I find, especially with young people, there's n- there's like no, death is a really good, good ally. I mean, I nearly died a bunch of times, but <laughs> I have to say death is, is a good ally because it allows us to like really live in this moment thoroughly and um, exploring what deeply matters and taking a stand for that, again, I think is an act of rebellion and it's really true to our nature. So if we can start doing just that, like just if that's all you got from this interview is the question of what does really matter to me. And I don't mean like chocolate that's flavored with raspberries. I mean the thing that is so deep in your heart, like you, you can barely admit it to yourself, that thing. And giving it the space to exist, even if you don't know how the hell it would ever come to be, the fact that you feel it makes it viable. It wouldn't be there if it wasn't. Yeah, it's really important for all of us to realize that the thing that I would want most in this world is not going to be the same as the thing that you or anyone else would want most in this world. And that deep wanting, that is a gift. Yeah. And we're the only ones who can bring it forth. And it's there for a reason. Exactly. And unfortunately for all of us, with all the amazing marketing that we're inundated in, is we're literally taught what and whom to desire. Right. That's hijacked. That's where we are not paying attention at all when we're letting other people decide for us where our Mm -hmm. attention should go, where our resources should go, where our time should go. Yep. Yeah. That's dangerous stuff. And... You know, what is that thing that if you were to die without it, if we died without experiencing that thing, it would be a tragedy. It would just be absolutely tragedy. And letting the contemplation of death help us really live. It's such a great point. It's amazing because I don't know if you've ever had a, a family member or a close friend die, but I have. And every time I'm near death, whether it was my own or uh, someone I loved, suddenly... I would realize like everything looked brighter and smelled like all my senses came intensely alive in the realization that they would never see this again or smell this again. Or like there was sort of this, the gift of their passing was to make me more aware of how alive I was. This has happened every single time. Um, and the preciousness of what we have right now, this is precious. It really is. And it's worth us taking a risk That's why I said earlier, we're all descendants of the daring. It's worth for us to start activating that daring side of us 
to actually take a stand for what matters because we're going to have to, it's going to take some ovaries <laughs> to like make it happen. <laughs> I love that. Now I've heard a lot of people talk about how we were, you know, descended from tribes of about 150 people. And it, we almost said the opposite of daring. It was more, uh, kind of, a an explanation of why we're conformists, because if we were too different, we might've been banned from the tribe and that makes us fear death. I haven't really heard that we're descended from the daring. Can you give your, <laughs> can you talk to about what that means to you? Yeah. What it means to me, uh, when I really con like, again, I guess, just sitting out in Africa in the middle of the night and recognizing how the hell did human beings survive this? We have s such thin skin and no teeth and no claws. We're pathetic. Really, compared to these other majestic beings that just have, like, the bomb outfits. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. <laughs> they're, they're kitted up, and we're, like, little blind moles, naked balls. <laughs> I was like, how did they do it? And they had to dare. And then how did they evolve? Every evolution, every step of evolution, there was a daring quality to it. And there still is. Even though we feel, like right now, the, the worst disease that's infected this planet is apathy. And to think that that is your true state is such a load of BS. And so it's like, wake up. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Apathy? I just see it. It's like um, I'm where I am here. I'm surrounded by lots of we're in a university town. So lots of young people. But there's this it feels like zombies everywhere. There's no one's home. And I think they're not home because maybe the, their routines are so like routines. Maybe they're not home because they're so involved in the little, I don't know, digitized lifestyle that they haven't actually felt their body and their real human side which is super messy it's not <laughs> I mean they can't even hold a conversation I find that amazing it's like how can you not hold a conversation whereas the kids I meet young people I meet in the villages of Africa they're interactive they're, they're like there and they're listening to their elders and they're curious and they're and they're not perfect they don't they're not better but they have a little bit more um, juice in the life so apathy to me is uh, more of a Western or, or not maybe Western, but comfortable world thing because I also see it like in Asian people when I've been to Asian countries. And it's this sense of, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares? That's someone else's problem, not my problem. I, I hear it all the time in conversations. Yeah, whatever, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like, oh, it so matters that you're terrified. And so you've shut down. And so that's what I mean by apathy. It's like a shutting down of the, the spirit of enthusiasm, the spirit of waking up and going, holy shit, I'm here. I get another day. I get to live this in a really original way today. I just don't see that a lot in our uh, culture. We're almost safe to the point of misery because, you know, maybe it's just because we don't have to worry about the lion or the starvation or the, those things that force us to be a little bit more awake and alive, perhaps. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, that's weird is that there, there are things that are happening all around that this is, this is a very dynamic life. And uh, for me, I think sometimes cities are more dangerous than the wilderness. I mean, there's a lot going on in cities. <laughs> So to be apathetic there isn't, it's just, it's sad. And to think that um, most people think somehow that they don't matter or their opinion doesn't matter or, you know, they don't have impact. When I hear that, it makes me really sad because I'm like, wow, if you think that, then you are going to become that person who just throws their can out the window and says horrible things to somebody and it doesn't care because you feel like you don't have impact and you don't matter. So why should you care? Uh, so that's why I think apathy is so dangerous. Because then you're not realizing how much that can you throw out the window is harming the, the physical environment and how much the mean thing you said really hurt that other person who then it, it rippled through other people as well. Yeah. And you're missing that tenderness of how much it does matter if you in turn, instead just turned and said something kind, even if you were having a terrible day and just blessed the person before you. It's amazing. 
it's really amazing. I've had people come up to me and say, do you realize that you just saved my life? Like I was about to go do this thing. And you actually looked at me and smiled at me. And I was asking for a sign of why should I stay alive Wow! in that moment. So you just do not know. And that's why I think enthusiasm, which we get when we spend time in nature, what we get when we actually spend time with our bodies and enjoy them, we get when we're like curious enough to relate in a really cool way with someone, we get this fire that starts moving through us. It makes us curious. And now suddenly our whole world starts to change from gray to technicolor. And we did that. We're doing that. We're actually literally changing the neurochemistry of our bodies through that simple shift of attitude. It's quite amazing. I love how you bring so much fun and joy to it. I, I'm in the times when I've had really bad broken hearts, I, I, and I live in New York City, so there's always a lot of people around. I'll walk through the subway and look at the people around me and just say a silent prayer to every person because it's my only way of sort of surviving that day is just saying, I hope you're not, I hope you're feeling better than I am today. I hope you're okay today. I hope everyone you love is Mm. safe today. I hope that, you know, you're not sad right now. I hope, you know, or I hope you didn't make a mistake that's scaring you at work right now. I hope you're not. So I would sort of similar to what you're saying, but not from such a joyful place, more just trying to um, give a, give blessings, yeah. but sort of an avoidance of sorrow. But you're really in a pro joy and play and jubilance sort of way, which is so awesome. It's inspiring. <laughs> well, I haven't always been there. I mean, I've been in deep depression and um, I've not been able to put more than a spoonful of food into my body for months on end because of depression not now, but earlier. And I did what you did. I was like, how can this pain serve someone? It's got to be of service. This has got to be worth something. And inevitably every time it was. So. And then how do you move it it from, how do you move it then from there? um, So one of the ways I like to think of our emotions is they come from a deep well. And the same well that that deep sorrow comes from is also where your courage and self-love comes from. So if the well is really deep, you're blessed because when the contracted state of that emotion unwinds itself, you have a very rich resource of beauty to offer. And I prefer to teach it that way where our emotions, they're either a contracted state or open state. When they're contracted, we do have anger. But anger, when we start to unwind it and open again, is kindness, it's generosity, it's radical self-acceptance. And so I always look at my life, like, when am I really turning inward? And then I try through literally the body. So a lot of my stuff has been open the body, breathe. Ah, there's weird sounds I like to make. You know, I just like, oh, I just, it's really impossible to be angry and hold your arms like wide open like you're going to give someone a bear hug. Like, it's kind of impossible like anger does not want this position it wants this position so there's ways in our physiology that we can move through and then there's a wisdom of learning like we're messy it's okay to feel shit sometimes but really let yourself feel it don't just half feel it don't half-ass anything just full-ass everything you know really feel the thing don't half-ass just full-ass just full-ass yeah (laughs) I love it And and so I experimented one time. I was so angry. I wanted to do a cathartic anger release. You know, like, ah, I got to move and hit something. And I was like, no, feel it. Sit here and, and feel it. And I'm like, no, I got to move and feel something. I'm like, no, sit here and feel it. So I was battling with myself. And I finally dropped in and really felt my anger. And just a couple of minutes later, it was done. Absolutely complete. And I went on with my day. Children are like that. We just forget to be like that. They fully feel something and then it's done and they moved on to the next thing already. They throw their temper tantrum, throw their fists on the floor and then move on to the next toy. To be able, like if you and I sat together and I was going through something and I was just like, hey, right now, whoa, I'm really scared. I'm just feeling terror. And you just sat there and breathed with me and, and you looked at me like I was powerful and reminded me of that purely by sitting there because that's one of my fundamental beliefs is that we're all powerful. Then it allows me to not have shame around what I'm feeling and I fully feel it and then it can be done and I learn from it. I'm like, oh, because when we avoid what we're feeling, we avoid the wisdom. 
But if we actually feel what we're feeling and, and get curious and go, well, what is there? What's underneath that? I'm, ang- I'm angry because my boundaries were overstepped and I didn't stand up for myself. Well, so what could I do different next time? <laughs> okay, I'm going to try this differently next time. So there's a learning aspect of feeling that we really tend to avoid. And, and maybe that's another thing I'd love to invite the women into is, is you're an emotional creature. You feel everything. You're so porous. It's all moving through you. And the more you know your own essence, the less you'll take on other people's stuff, which is super, super important. You'll be able to ask curious questions like, wow, like a minute ago, it's fine. Now I'm like full of rage. How are you? I'm like, I really pissed off. I'm like, okay, that's yours, not mine. Thank you very much. Right? We can start learning like that too. And like I said, when you're in the wilderness and you got this stuff, everything's feeling it. So if you can notice what you're feeling and let, communicate it and go, oh, I am afraid or I am angry, then everyone and everything goes, ah, because you're in self-ownership of it instead of struggling against it. I love all of that because we are naked in nature and there are other people affecting us. So the more we can be clear about our own inner essence, the more we can protect ourselves from receiving other people's negativity if it's around us, which, you know, if it's a friend in conversation, we maybe can communicate, but if it's the person next to us on the subway, for example, not so... And that's, that's really important. And then also just taking responsibility for what we're feeling so that we don't dirty the space or, or muddy, muddy the waters for everyone else around us. Yeah. It's more like, let's accept that we're all messy. If we can accept that we're messy, like you said, that water that originally was spilt on the floor, it's not dirty. You know, um, what we're feeling isn't dirty. It's not bad or evil or messy. It's just a feeling. And the more we, can love our humanity. I mean, I used to strive to be like not human. I wanted to be this enlightened being that was always like in a great state. And I did all these meditations and practices so I could be like this enlightened being. And then one day I realized, huh, that kind of doesn't, it's not sustainable. And the more I went into my humanity, the more I actually experienced like enlightened states, the more I accepted my messiness the more I actually experience that deep, pure, beautiful, peaceful, tranquil state. So it was through being more human that I actually could attain the things I was looking for by avoiding my humanity. Totally. It's just a bypass if you try and always be joyful. And it's a little phony too. Other people can't relate to you as much because it's, yeah. it's like you're saying no to a whole half of, of reality and yeah. a whole half of what they might be experiencing, which makes them feel wrong for their realness. Yeah. So what is the Desolée method? Ah, good question. It's a method. It's a psychosexual method, and it involves um, movement practices, breath practices, as well as new ways of perceiving, like kind of recontextualizing relationships with our body, with certain ideas and concept around sexuality and sensuality. Um, in the end, it's an invitation to recognize that your sensual sexual self is not separate from any fiber of this living being here it's there it's so interwoven it's the same thing and so how we are feeling impacts our physiology and our physiology also impacts how we're feeling so again that's why i was saying earlier let's get really curious about this deep intimate relationship we're having just here like with ourselves <laughs> it's complicated enough and uh so the desley method is that it's it's a very simple way. I teach it sometimes, like I'm going to Africa to teach like 500 Zulu women every day in a different village because they have so much domestic violence and sexual violence that the women are in a lot of fear. So I want to teach them a very basic skill set of transforming stress into vitality and starting to trust their bodies and tr- starting to trust each other in some very basic ways. And so that method will be a little less sexual, but it's oriented to help uh, tr- changing trauma to thriving. And then there's other facets where it's very sexual, where we use things like the jade egg and do a lot of um, pelvic floor work and vaginal work to activate all that we are. The pelvic nerve is one of my favorite nerves. I don't think we have time to talk about it, but maybe you'll have to have me back and we'll do a, I would love to. We could do a whole a segment on, <laughs> on our sexuality and our uh, the inner pleasure systems. Yeah. 
Let's definitely arrange that. But in, but for now, can you can you tell us what you're most excited about? What women might find if they go search for more? What you're offering and how women yeah, can find right. it. Um, I'm most excited about a woman saying yes to being in love with herself. I mean, that just no matter what the culture is, when a woman really finally goes, hey. I'm here and I have the right to this body and I'm going to be in this body like that. It really uh, turns me on. Uh, A simple way to find me, thejadeegg.com. A lot of, there's a lot of free stuff there. So it's a really easy way. Dare Your Desire is my new brand and I have a lot of fun stuff that's coming out on that site very soon. And um, what I'm most excited about are, well, obviously my Africa safaris, And then the work that I'm doing now on a leadership level where I'm talking to government and I'm talking to large groups of people to really help vast numbers of women feel safer and more at home and more confident in their bodies. Um, So that's very, very exciting to have that level of, I guess, that connection on that level with many people. Beautiful. Dr. Saida, this conversation was exponentially more awesome than I even, even though I knew it was going to be awesome and I was so excited to talk to you. This is really wonderful. Thank you so much for the time. It's been so great. You're awesome. And it's been fun. We can see each other's face, ladies. So we have these beautiful, radiant faces. <laughs> and it's just been so nice to see your smile and, and be here with you. And thank you, ladies, so much for your ears, your hearts, your bellies, and for your courage to explore. Mm. Beautiful. You're a wonderful person. I'm so glad we got to connect. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to more. Thank you. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we talked about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are free resources that can help you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.